Hello, and welcome to Three Moves Ahead. This is the official podcast of Flash of Steel. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is our full panel, freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello, everyone. I have a coffee. If anyone needs one, let me know. I'll, I'll grab it. Okay. Again, with a coffee. Freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I, I want to start the unofficial podcast of Three Moves Ahead of uh, Flash of Steel. What would that be like? Two moves ahead. Two moves ahead. There we go. Yeah, it's a little bit slower. <laughs> or just dumber in my case. Yeah. And the very hungry and very tired Bruce Garrick. I'm eating a sandwich. So um, you guys just like talk about video gaming and stuff. And I'm going to, um, you know, I'll pipe in when, you know, you say something dumb. <laughs> Keep us in line. As opposed to what usually happens. I get it. <clears throat> So today I want to talk a bit about uh, the concept of symmetry and asymmetry uh, in strategy games. This has been really reinforced in my mind with playing uh, a lot more of, of Demigod, which is kind of the king of asymmetrical RTSs, I think, right now. And also, to my horror, uh, Command & Conquer 3, Red Alert 3, Uprising, which is, you can pretty much expect uh, how great that is. You're actually playing that? I am playing that, yes. Good lord, why? Why are you we'll playing have, that? Because it's an assignment. Oh, I'm so sorry, Troy. Yeah. Are, are you holding this out as an example of symmetry or asymmetry? It's a uh, the Red Alert game. Red Alert 3 is, I would say, very asymmetrical. And that's kind of the right. big thing it has. The only thing it has going for it. That everything is different. So right. different. Well, should, we, should we put out a definition here? Because I was talking about this with some non-gamer friends, and I realized that I had to come up with some pretty concrete examples of what we meant by symmetrical strategy games and asymmetrical strategy games. So I wanted to... What do you think the most symmetrical strategy game is? Symmetrical. Chess. Chess, yeah. Chess would be the art. I, dis yeah. I disagree, because there's Checkers. first mover advantage. Rock, Hard. paper, scissors. Ah, good point. Everybody has exactly the same information. Everybody plays simultaneously, and there is no variation in strategy. Except that was the best the, I could come up with. Except with the expansion, which adds uh, shotgun and dynamite. <laughs> I thought it was Spock Lizard. Isn't it Spock Lizard? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Spock As Lizard? Spock, Spock, Spock melts the rock. You, you haven't seen this? You don't, oh, my gosh. I'm dealing with heathens. There will be a link at the bottom of the podcast. <laughs> Which Julian will have to provide. But yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good question. That's what do we mean by symmetry? It's really a continuum, right? I mean, there's nothing that's perfectly symmetrical. Rock, paper, scissors. Except maybe rock, paper, scissors, or tick, <laughs> I guess. Right. And so wait, perfect, but chess, though, why are we disqualifying chess? Yeah, I, 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 because white always has... has an, I mean, ask, ask any grandmaster, they will tell you white has... Oh, I see what you're saying. But I think for our purposes, though, yeah, the idea is symmetrical in that both sides are the same. Like, uh, in the true meaning of, of symmetry, as you look at a shape, for instance. Well, right, uh, but, but, but we mean in terms of the strategy of the full playing experience. And in the case of chess, there is a significant first-mover advantage. Right? Man, that's... You, that's that's splitting a hair, Julian. I mean, I totally yeah. I agree. I get what you're saying, but, uh, dude. <laughs> I mean, Julian, you wouldn't think that a well-balanced RTS with different sides, like StarCraft, is symmetrical just because each side is an equal chance to win, would you? I think you get a lot of argument from hardcore StarCraft players that every side has an equal chance to win. But Right, but would you consider that symmetrical? 
No, no, no. I think I think StarCraft is actually one of the classic examples of an asymmetrical game. So we're, we're, I mean, we're on the same page here. You're right. It is a continuum. Okay. Uh, and there are ways you can temper the fact that, yes, chess is not entirely symmetrical. But for our purposes, there are games that are symmetrical. There are games that are clearly not symmetrical. Right. Uh, I think it's for less of a continuum. Purposes. I'm confused. For our purposes of just sort of discussing uh, symmetry and strategy games. I think but you I can still clearly understand look. what symmetry is. It's where I, everybody gets... Here, here's, here's the definition I'd throw out. Uh, where everyone gets the same tools. And the same information, identical tools. Well, those are tools. I would I would qualify not okay. just like units, okay. like that's fair. Gameplay mechanics, where all players have the same tools, is to me the definition of symmetry. Right. And under that qualification, yeah, the guy who goes first in chess, I guess, has an extra tool. Fair enough. Um, but but chess is sort of an example of uh, symmetry, whereas I don't know what's a board game. Well, they're board games. Ogre. To me, to me, the Very classic good. game exactly. of asymmetrical play, because it's easy to understand, is Ogre GEV, where you've got one player who has one monstrous unit, and the other player has a bazillion little tiny units that can move all over the board very quickly and do lots of different things. Um, and the game is supposedly, depending on which Except version missile you're playing... Tanks. The missile tanks can't really move that fast. <laughs> I can't believe Bruce knows about Ogre. Infantry don't move very fast either, but um, no. but the idea there is you have a completely lopsided battlefield, yet you create a balanced strategic environment where skilled players would still, you know, tie most of the time. So how old is Ogre? Do you guys, would, would either of you know? Uh, 80, 80, or, or, okay, 1980. I'm pretty sure. I, 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 um, if you wait like 11 seconds, I can run across the room to my little Steve Jackson. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I mean, it, it, so it, it goes way back. It, here, it predates StarCraft. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So because There's a computer I, version of it, too. Yeah, of but the Ogre? computer version was ancient and terrible. But like me, ancient and terrible. <laughs> uh, so, so as far as like computer games, uh, it's important to note, too, that I think there was a jump where, and I'm thinking specifically of real-time strategy games. I'd be curious to consider turn-based games, if this is true. But in, in computer games with Command and Conquer, they started out with symmetrical sides. And StarCraft was kind of the big revolution yes. uh, that introduced in RTS's asymmetry. And now everybody does it. There are virtually... No real-time strategy games that have symmetrical sides. Now, I can think of a couple of exceptions that we can get into later, but StarCraft kind of introduced this whole idea of, you know what, everybody gets different sides. Uh, and not just a little bit different, entirely different. I mean, for a while there, you had Ensemble having a competing design model where they were pretty much the same units, but one side would have bonuses. It would have better archers or uh, better pikemen or cheaper one thing or another. But they were pretty much the same units with a plus one here and a minus one there. But eventually, even Ensemble had to give up on that because the StarCraft model became so dominant in real-time strategy design. You look at Age of Empires three, and every faction is unit-wise, at least, almost entirely unique. And many of them have different ways of gathering uh, resources, even. Right. Right. Well, I and I think that... I think it extends ahead, even more than that. And, and this is what I would love to see more of, is games where you actually have varying victory conditions, too. That, to me, is when it gets really interesting. And in the in the board game and war game world, 
that's I think when things get the most compelling is when it's not just that the you know one army gets a certain kind of horseman and the other army gets a certain kind of footman, but that they actually have very different ways in which the game is won. That's the thing I think it's missing from a lot of uh, computerized strategy games is that ultimately they tend to come down to either some sort of control point victory, um, some sort of build victory like a wonder, or just pure annihilation. And and those tend to be fairly unique and universal. And so now is when I wait for somebody to tell me that I'm wrong and I'm missing some classic game with completely varied victory conditions. Well, Age 3, for instance, has, has varying victory conditions. Uh they introduced that with was it War Chiefs Troy where they added like the the trade victory condition. Um, yeah, are those unique no, to each class? Yeah, but, but so, oh, I see what yeah. you're saying. No, I see what you're saying. Right. asking each side having a different way right. of. Winning so I mean, game. even like War Plan Pacific, which we you know talked about recently, there you have a, a set of win conditions for the allies that are completely different that are for the Japanese. So very good, yeah, and and I think of in board gaming, isn't Cosmic Encounters sort of an example of that, like. In well, CE, the, the, the certainly that's asymmetrical because uh, you know to get back to Magic, you're dealing with a very straightforward set of rules where you could play without any variation on the sides at all, and then you introduce sort of differences in the sides that are so dramatic that it really changes how the game has to be played. But in that case, the victory conditions are essentially identical no matter what, which is oh, okay. You have to win five planets from the other dude or four planets from the other dude, and that's it. Um, but I, I I would love to see more games like Warplan Pacific or like a lot of board games where you do have these kind of really varied victory conditions. That would be – I think that's really interesting. Well, I want to get back to the original topic first before we take it out too oh, far. I have this range really? too much. Well, I mean, the question <laughs> – yeah. Well, I don't want to spread off too quickly and just have wouldn't it be nice if. The question is, you know, why did asymmetry become the big thing? When does symmetry work? And when, does a, when do we want asymmetry? You can have an asymmetrical game and it'd still be terrible, but it is still the way people like to do the real-time strategy games, it seems. That is the preferred, the preferred design model, uh, except for a very few games, uh, even though there's no guarantee of success. That'll make your game any better. It often just makes your game more complicated. If you look at I metal, think that's the answer right there, is it makes the game, in a sense, it makes the game bigger in the sense that it be- takes more time or investment from the player to master all the components of the game. Because I think most most players in, who play RTSs, except <laughs> at the deepest, deepest end of the pool, tend to end up specializing in a particular side. I mean, they don't, they don't master every... You know, they don't master both playing Protoss and Zerg, right? I mean, they they tend to get better at one or the other. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, one of the the things that I've noted about asymmetry is that in a lot of cases, it can sort of make up it can substitute for game design, uh, in that you can just take an established model and you throw in different sets of tools and there's your game and it's done. There's a certain laziness to a lot of asymmetry. Well, give me, and, give me an example of a game you think tried to get away with that. Uh, Red Alert 3. Red Alert 3 yeah. uh, that, that's the most recent one where it, it really is just very simple, streamlined gameplay. They basically just did the same thing they did in Command & Conquer 3, but let's have different sides. And, and furthermore, I think there's a difference between asymmetry and Interesting asymmetry. Uh, <laughs> now, interesting is a terrible, vague term, and that's basically just sort of carte blanche for me to say asymmetry I like and asymmetry I don't like. Uh, but but there are different ways to do it. In, in Red Alert 3, clearly an asymmet- asymmetrical game, 
but I, I think it's just a, it does it lazily. There's nothing very interesting in, in the different tools that the different sides get. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a terrible game on so many levels. I'd rather not even talk about that. Um, <laughs> Age of Empires 3, for instance, when it first came out, I think was an example of uninteresting asymmetry. Most of the sides, with the exception of, I think the Ottomans had a weird little population model, most of the sides were varied. An ensemble did this for for years and across many games were varied by were, were variations on various mathematical models. Like these guys had stronger archers, these guys had better villagers. Um, well, uh, let me let me let me challenge you a little bit then, and let's talk okay. about a, a game. I think I believe most of us revere, which would be Civilization Four and its various variants. And I would argue um, uninteresting asymmetry in Civilization Four. By the way. Oh. Okay, then, then, then I'm not going to get much of an argument out of you because, I, 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 would, again, I, I would say, I would even argue that Civilization War isn't all that asymmetrical. Well, yeah, right. that was going to be my point is that here we have this RTS, which is certainly tries for levels of asymmetry because it, the sides it, are supposed it, it, it to be different. Did you just say RTS? No, I'm, that's not. I'm kicking you off. <laughs> I've only done that like 11 times already, okay? So it's not like a big thing because it's a strategy game and there's so few good turn-based strategy games that they all get lumped into my head in the same bucket. But Okay, anyway. Um, but there's a game where I think it's a fabulous game and I actually enjoy you know, going back and playing a, you know, a civilization that I haven't played before just to sort of see the new units and play with it or to, to really dig into, well, maybe I can get a religious thing going here that I couldn't get going with somebody else. But it's not all that different. I mean, fundamental strategy remains pretty similar regardless of which civilization you're choosing to play. Right. There's a difference between asymmetry and, and variations on a theme, mathematical variations. And I, I think Civilization Four, by and large, is an example of the latter until, by the way, this is, I think, an excellent example of asymmetry, of game design based on asymmetry. A fellow named Derek Paxton. I'm sorry? I know where you're going with this, that's all. Oh, uh, Derek Paxton's Fall from Heaven mod for Civilization IV. Uh, he took that basic, you know, the basic Civilization gameplay and just <laughs> broke it. He, he banged on it. He gave everybody completely, dramatically different tools. He essentially shattered Civilization Four, in the interest of of introducing asymmetry, uh, it's a brilliant piece of work, and I, I think it's, for instance, it, it's also uh, an example of the pitfalls of asymmetry. I can't imagine it working as a multiplayer game. Uh, the AI can barely even handle it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's. So you think Fall from Heaven Two doesn't work multiplayer? Period. Well, I haven't tried it. I can't imagine that it does. I mean, I just think of the various things that I would consider not exploits, but certainly broken balance that I've run into in single player uh, and how much those must be even worse in, in a multiplayer environment. Well, isn't I don't know. That that really the, I'm sorry, isn't that really the, the big problem with doing anything with um, asymmetry is that you have to balance it so perfectly? I mean, it would be great to have games where you could win one way using one side and win a totally different way using another side, but what all that would happen is that people would you know, meticulously, you know, put the game through all of its possible permutations to find out which side had a marginal advantage over the other side in, you know, whatever uh, different uh, uh, victory conditions or whatever the whatever the difference was between these two sides. And that's the, <clears throat> that's the big problem with computer games is that, you know, if, if it were a board game, you know, you would, uh, you know, everybody go over to Tom's house and, uh, 
you know, play a couple games over a weekend, and then they would have all these opinions, but it wouldn't really matter because they wouldn't really understand how the game worked. But but in a computer game, you could, uh, you know, people can play it a thousand times, and then all of a sudden, all that. Uh, well, but that but but that's broken. but that's also how you balance it. I mean, when, you know, when I, we've talked to the guys from uh, uh, from Startup before, rather from Ironclad, about how they they did the beta testing for the Entrenchment expansion, Descent of a Solar Empire. They essentially set up a server room full of machines playing each other, trying to figure out exploits and tweaking the AI to make t- try to take advantage of one thing they thought might be broken. And they come in the next morning and they say, "Okay, well, we played forty three hundred games overnight, and we found out that." This strategy wins sixty three percent of the time, so that's clearly broken. And they just iterated it and iterated it and iterated it and basically turned their own AI into their own beta testing system. And and granted, not every game can do that, and people will certainly get into forum fights about whether or not they succeeded in doing that in entrenchment, but but that would certainly be the hope that you can iterate your way out of that problem. I don't Who's know that right you can ever do that though, because I think that yeah. I think that the problem there is that uh, it's all, I mean, Sins is, a, Sins is a pretty symmetrical game, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty symmetrical. So it doesn't really, it's not really down to uh, to balancing the different sides. It's, it's down to balancing each element of the same side. So, I mean, what works for one side can work for, for the other side just as well. And so all you have to do is, you know, tone down what, you know, tone down that particular thing. But, well, but I mean, in that case, I think I, I would argue that that's not an entirely symmetrical game. I think that the technology trees and the differences between the units and the different sides are enough to make it sort of not a coin flip which one you play. You definitely right, play okay, a different but, strategy for your. But if side. you have if you have fundamentally different if you have fundamentally different victory conditions, I mean, and you don't get it right, I mean, it's possible that you could just completely break the balance because in order to rebalance the game, you have to completely redesign that particular side. I think it's much more different to much more sorry difficult to balance that kind of game design. And I think that's why that's one of the reasons that it's not done. And I think also here's an example too. This frustrates me to no end with Relic's games. Uh, Relic has has done a great job of sort of running with asymmetry, making interesting different sides. Dawn of War two most recently, uh, and then it seems like with their patches. Uh, and I've never been enough of a hardcore player to really appreciate this, but just reading over the notes, looking at what they're doing, it seems like their patches are just a matter of constantly banging down different advantages or, or putting artificial caps on stuff because players have found some way that one side can invariably get an right, advantage so over the different sides. Purely balancing by nerf after the fact. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, exactly. I mean, it just feels like they're constantly chasing the balance once the games come out in the wild. Because they're so ambitious with with their asymmetry. But is there uh, is there really any way to do that? Uh, is there well, any way to solve what, that in an asymmetrical yeah. game? See, here's what I think Relic is trying to do with their asymmetry, and I admire this, uh, but I, I think it doesn't necessarily fare in a real world competitive multiplayer environment. When I look at Dawn of War, and this is true of, of the original game all the way up through Dawn of War Two. It seems like relics asymmetry. They're, they're different tools for different sides are built to appeal to different players of different skill levels. For instance, the Eldar, I can't make heads nor tails of those guys. I, I suck at them. They require a lot of micromanagement, a lot of fiddling. They require very intimate knowledge of what the different powers do and how they interact with the different races. Whereas anybody can play with like orcs or space marines. Is that uh, why I always get killed playing the Eldar? All I do is play the Eldar and I get it's just destroyed. Oh, I wasn't going to say anything to you. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no, but clearly uh, that's the case where the Space Marines are designed to be the straightforward, traditional choice. And not just right? in terms of the, the mythology, but in terms of the no, game. No, no, in terms of the well, gameplay. Yeah. But that's true, in the, that's true in the pen and paper version, too, or in the miniature version, too. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right? No, I mean, no, no, not at all. But here's the problem, it. though, Julian, is that the problem is then when when Eldar players are, are sort of held to the same standard as Space Marine players uh, in terms of, like if the Eldar are built for a completely different type of player who knows the game at a completely different level, uh, and, and when they get nerfed or, or made more powerful or something, it, it seems like there's a whole different uh, sort of aspect introduced to the balancing act, and that's the player's skill. Uh, and, and when Relic comes out with patches, it doesn't seem like it, it just seems like it, it gets to be a big mess if they're balancing it for different types of players to play different ways, but then these patches uh, try to sort of democratize or even out the number of wins or whatnot. I don't know. I don't envy them what they're doing, and I'm not even sure I understand it. But I'm also not sure that they're doing a very good job with well, it. Well, but I mean, does anybody really do a good job of that? I mean, you know, the whole issue of games that have enough longevity that that significant patches happen over long periods of time. I mean, just look at the guys at Blizzard doing this with WoW on like a daily basis, right? I mean, this is like a never-ending battle that seems like the worst job in the world. <laughs> You know, I can't imagine anything worse than being the guy who's in charge of figuring out what to nerf and what to boost in an MMO or in an RTS that lasts for more than a year. And that's because it's in, an, in a multiplayer environment. You know, Derek right. Paxton exactly. doesn't have to do this with Fall for Heaven because it's a, you know, it's a single-player game. If you want a tough game, you play a tough race. If you don't want a tough game, you play an easy race, and they don't have to even out. Uh, but here is Relic doing this with the Eldar. If you want an easy game, you play the Space Marines. If you want a tough game, you play the Eldar. But because it's a competitive multiplayer game, it kind of does have to even out. Uh, and I, I just think that's a dilemma that, they're, that their design faces. For instance, you won't see this, by the way, with End War, which has yeah, multiple that's sides. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go next, because we had two big uh, console RTSs released this spring. We had Halo Wars, which is asymmetrical. And End War, which is purely symmetrical, one of the most symmetrical. Not purely, but mostly. I mean, there are some minor mathematical variations, but but yes, mostly symmetrical. Mostly okay. symmetrical, and End War is just a better game, which would, surprised me. Yeah. So Bruce and and Julian, have you guys? So you guys haven't fiddled with End War much, right? No, no. Tom Clancy's Not End War. Tom Tom Clancy's End War. Oh wait a minute! Now I'll go get it. <laughs> <laughs> but they did nobody's doing that nobody's making uh and I, I think this probably hurts end war i mean it has very few units and and they are it really is chess like i mean you get your not what, just very eight. few units but very you could say boring units i mean you're not going to you're not going I think to they're, uh, fun. they're fun yeah, units. They're totally but you're not fun. going to, you're not going to get a great big you know front page GameSpot preview on now we look at end wars tanks Right. And next, End Wars Helicopters. I mean, this is not a game uh, that will get a whole lot of attention for its creative unit design. Although it's funny, Troy, they released downloadable content. And part of what... And the, the downloadable content for End Wars is miserable. It's just nickel and diming crap. Uh, but part of what they release are things like, and now the helicopters get blah, blah, blah rockets, and the Russian troop carrier gets this anti-air gun. I mean, you can see them grasping desperately at some kind of flavor for the units. 
uh, and, and trying to sort of sell this as, as an add-on. So the helicopter now takes out tanks faster than it already took out tanks? Well, so the way Endwar does it is when you're playing multiplayer, basically everybody gets the same units. But you can also play this world skirmish mode where you have a persistent group of forces over various battles. And as you earn money from a battle, you buy upgrades for the units like, of your choice. Sounds like Chrome Hounds almost. Um, well, yes, exactly. I mean, Chrome Hounds is about building a mech. This is about building your forces. And yes, very similar. So the money you earn, you can improve your helicopters or your tanks. Or you can improve the speed of your infantry or the armor of your uh, your transports, you know. Uh, you, so you decide where to spend your money, and as you play, your forces get more and more di- different than other people's forces. That's only the world skirmish mode, though, right. which I don't think anybody is playing. And actually, one of the things you get in this mode is once you've gotten to the top of the, the unit's upgrade tree, it can introduce a little special power, a, a special attack, which is where they flirt with a little asymmetry. For instance... Uh, helicopters suck against uh, armored transports, against personnel carriers, which doubles the AA units. However, a, a sufficiently maxed out helicopter gets a special uh, uh, missile attack that it can use against vehicles. So they sort of let you, they sort of play around with breaking the balance a little bit. Figuring uh, nobody will ever actually get there anyway, right? And, and by the way, though, that's the single player game. It's a single player game, you're playing on a risk style map over the course of various skirmishes, and you're upgrading your units as you go. So in single player, if you want to break the fact that armored personnel carriers trump helicopters, you can kind of do that and nobody's going to care. Uh, But yeah, multiplayer, it's a little bit more difficult. And on the other side, we have Halo Wars, which has aliens versus humans. Hooray. Once again, not exactly creative unit design, Um, but clearly designed to be a little bit more interesting, allegedly. Uh, for the player. And it just doesn't work that well at all. At least the asymmetry does. I and mean, it works okay. As I, I think the interface is pretty good. But as a RTS, it's just not that interesting. I actually like... I mean, I... I, I you know, rest in peace. God bless your souls. All that. Poor ensemble. Uh, they, they've come a long way from doing these sort of mathematical variations rather than asymmetry to age of mythology which is, I think, one of the, the best That's asymmetrical yes. real-time strategy games you can play, uh, and it holds up very well, Age of Mythology, um, to the sort of the gradual lesson they learned over the course of the development of Age of Empires 3, and then finally they close out with Halo Wars, which I'm not crazy about, but which is an admirable attempt at an asymmetrical but streamlined console RTS. And I think as a design, Troy, I do think Halo Wars works pretty well. Hmm. Um I had some problems with it, but I, as far as like, if I were to look at the design document, I would I would say yes, this is awesome. Run with this, you guys. Uh, I, I like so the way it works is there's aliens versus humans, and each side you then pick a sub faction, right? Uh, kind of like in a Company of Heroes, where Company of Heroes is always Germans versus Americans, but you pick your commander as you're playing. Here it's always aliens versus humans, but you pick one of three commanders, and that further tweaks the gameplay uh, in either side. You know, so with let distance... Me ask, go ahead. Let, let me ask a, a, something of a, a, a loaded question. I mean, do you think that there is a... In this day and age, do you feel like if you opened... If you had a box in front of you and you said, this is the best asymmetrical game release this year and this is the best symmetrical game release this year, when you knew nothing about what was underneath the brown paper wrapper, 
do you think one is inherently superior in this in, in, in this environment, knowing what you know about the state of game design and multiplayer and the kind of tools that are available to the designer? Yeah, I mean, don't you think that, in a way, asymmetry is a way of selling uh, one game as, like, three separate games? Yep. Uh, yeah, so, that was, that was yeah commercially, question. asymmetry is much more viable. But I meant for you as example. a player. I meant for you as a player, like somebody who's actually not trying to review something or interested in the industry, but just like, I have three hours to play a new game today, and I don't get to talk to anybody about it when I'm done. Like, which <laughs> one do you really want to play more? Well, well, if, you know if I only have three hours, it won't matter. But if I have... <laughs> If I have the month, I take the asymmetrical game because the assumption is I will be able to play it longer and learn different things. And if it's a very, if you've already told me it's the best asymmetrical game this year, I will probably get more life out of it. But for the in a multiplayer universe, I would probably get better at the symmetrical game faster. See, I mean, there's I, a whole I, different. Go ahead. I, I I sort of feel the opposite, which is that I find myself there's so many releases every year, right? I mean. Uh, and and most so many strategy games fall into this category of sort of asymmetrical rock paper scissors systems of of variations on that it gets sort of wearying and so that when i'm presented with a game that is it is basically symmetrical and there's interesting things going on inside that symmetry which i i think i would put probably sins of a solar empire in that example where there's just enough interesting between them that you feel like you're learning something new, but not so much that it's like, oh my god, if I jump into play these guys, you know, I'm doomed for the first 12 games. I actually find that more interesting because I feel like I'll be able to play the game sooner at a level that I'll get satisfaction out of. Right. That's a very good point, Julian. Is you, you do there's the whole uh, maybe maybe we could bring up the chick parabola where you're you're going up the learning curve and then you get to the top and it's awesome and then something screws it up at the far end and you don't like it anymore. But with symmetrical games, you can get up to that top level where you're sort of mastering the system and if it's a solid design, you're really banging on it. And you're getting the most out of it. You, you get there much more quickly, I think, uh, if it's not doing any asymmetry shenanigans. Right, and I think some of it probably does come down to this whole pernicious issue of like how many gameplay hours are you getting for your dollar, which I find a, just such yeah. a disgusting metric in general because I don't think you can measure fun by the minute. Um, that that you know, I, the chances that I'm going to really like pay sixty bucks for a game and get sixty hours out of it, that just doesn't happen in my life. I mean, it just doesn't. And so, you know, the reality is most games I get seven or eight hours out of, regardless of how long the game is supposed to be, before I either get bored or it gets too hard or something new comes along that I'm more interested in playing. And so I'm really very interested in getting games that, that grab me early, and then because I fall in love with them, I end up playing them for years and years and years. Civ four, yeah. Yeah, Civ Four is a classic example. I mean, I fired that up again this weekend because we were talking about it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I got a fire up fall from heaven." So here's here's something that I would throw out. Who would disagree with this? The king of asymmetry, the designer who I feel understood it best, and I hate the fact that I'm talking about him in past tense, uh, is uh, uh, Brian Reynolds. I, I think of what he did with, with Rise of Legends, uh, Alpha and. Rise of Legends, but before then, Troy, Alpha, Alpha Centauri. Centauri. Yeah. Alpha I mean, Centauri. Alpha Centauri was one of the first sort of, yep. I don't know about first, but I mean, that was where, that was turn-based asymmetry at its finest, where each side not only played differently, but just had an amazing amount of character. Uh, so I think of Brian Reynolds doing that, and then, of course, Rise of Legends, 
where, again, the asymmetry isn't just each side having different play mechanics or different units. They had a different flavor, an entirely different look. Um, yeah. yeah, and a whole uh, different reason for even being on the board. I mean, really, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, of course, I don't know how much Brian directly was involved with uh, the Asian Dynasties expansion for H3, but Ensemble did H3, then they did this War Chiefs expansion, which sort of pushed their little basic paradigm a little bit more. But then when Big Huge Games did the Asian Dynasties expansion, it just busted that open. Uh, the three new sides in Asian Dynasties, completely asymmetrical, weird, funky play mechanics for each one. Uh, I just think Brian Reynolds with uh, Big Huge Games has just done amazing things with asymmetry. There- how, much, how much of the Brian Reynolds appeal do you think is just how well he, 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 he covers it, how well he cloaks it, smoke and mirrors? Because look at Alpha Centauri. How was that any less a uh, mathematical asymmetry than, say, in Civ Four? It's because, well, it, I mean, it's a more convincing world than Civ Four. And it's not divided up into really neat uh, dualities, your spiritual and your commercial sort of thing. But it's still, by and large, you get bonuses for things that the other side doesn't get bonuses for. Well, I seem to recall now, why was it that, so civilization, or uh, Alpha Centauri had that whole social engineering system. Right. Where you add points into different things, and I, I seem to recall the factions were clearly geared to different types of social engineering. It sort of predated the civics in Civ Four. Oh yeah, clearly um, in Civ Four, the civics. Uh, they, I think, they pretty much admit that the Civ Four civics uh, were directly inspired by right. uh, Centaurus' uh, social engineering system. But it seems like weren't, weren't there like the different factions were were more than the Civ factions, weren't they? And the Civ factions get a unique unit and then two leader traits. And, sometimes well, and, you, and also, I mean, in Alpha Centauri, you had, I think, I can't remember how many, but you had at least three or four unique victory conditions, and different races were clear, or different factions were clearly designed to press towards those victory conditions more than others. Well, you have that right. Civ 4. I mean, you have certain Civs which have big, which have cultural bonuses that start. Oh, Troy, you're going to make me go get my Alpha Centauri manual. I was looking for mine. <laughs> I was looking for mine while you said that. Ah, there it is, right there. <laughs> I found it. But, by the way, so... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just curious, where do you draw the line between oh, just mathematical sleight of hand and uh, what you see as... Well, here's, here's where I draw the line. I mean, without looking up the manual and talking specific game mechanics, part of where I draw the line is every game I recall of Alpha Centauri, I remember whether or not I was playing the Gaians or Morgan Industries... But every game of Civilization Four, eventually it doesn't matter whether I'm the Spanish or the Turks or the French. Uh, I remember my race in Alpha Centauri much more than Civilization Four. Would you guys, would that be the same with you guys? Would you agree? I, I would agree. I would agree. But I, I can't I would agree, necessarily but how, how much I can't that say that that's because of the game mechanic or because of what, what Troy so disparagingly called the cloaking. <laughs> <laughs> Poking is not a bad I'm an thing. Absolute sucker for narrative, and so if the same math yields a narrative that I remember, I'll, I'm all over that one, right? Even if the math underneath is exactly the same. I mean, the, 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 I have nothing wrong with cloaking. I'm I'm fully in favor of of, of Klingon and Romulan rights. Klingon is, I mean, cloaking's okay. But well, I mean, for instance, at, here, Troy, look at the Gaians. I have to look at the. I mean, here's the, the faction characteristics of the Gaians: plus okay. one planet, plus two efficiency, minus yeah, no, one morale, no. minus one police. Right, right, Troy. You can't. Okay, here's the thing: each of those numbers that you're talking about, 
has a huge impact on something in the game. For instance, the Gaians folded into uh, Alpha Centauri's system of the planetary fungus. Yeah, do you remember they, that? Like that was a I huge do. part of the sort of the map ecology. And I, if that's not on your map series, by the way, it needs to be in there. Um, but the, but the Gaians had unique abilities to exploit and use the fungus, unlike any other faction. And I don't think those numbers are, are complete. Like, what, is it something in those numbers that made the Gaians relate to the planetary fungus? Uh, I, they, I don't know. Like, the, they, like, they, I, they, like the hive, you could totally ignore social engineering if you were the hive. Is that right? I mean, there, there are some pretty big sweeping differences that weren't just like plus one efficiency, minus one police or stuff like that. Oh, yeah, that. I mean, the, the, the Gaians start with Centaurian e- e- ecology, for instance. They get an advantage right. in that. Um, they have the, but that's just like the free tech. Like, there's sure, got to be that, something else in there. Well, those are the faction characteristics laid out. I mean, there's probably a little more to it. I mean, it's been a while since I played it, but I, mean, I agree with you that uh, Brian Reynolds is really good at this. But I'm just trying to get this idea, uh, just trying to get a handle on what makes that asymmetry so different. And if it's just you know, the Gaians, the Gaians are a great example because they are just so radically different from the rest of the factions. But you look at the, the UN peacekeepers or uh, the scientist guys, whatever they were. Uh, the the uh, Lao, Lao, wasn't his name Lao? Or no, that was the UN University, <laughs> University of Planet. Yeah, the ah, yeah, yeah, University. You know, they get a bonus tech and they can't use fundamentalism. And they get extra drones and a free network node. How do they play that much different? Uh, you want to, of course, emphasize their strengths and. Well, but come on! I, ultimately, a lot of this just comes down to math. I mean, you can you can break down right. Zerg versus and Protoss based on math too, right? Sure. So I, just, I mean, I just want to get. I mean, because Tom keeps referring to this this whole math as how as a straight disparaging comment, and I'm not quite sure. Well, not disparaging. Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying there are some games that have a claim to asymmetry, which are really just minor mathematical variations, and that's the ensemble model, I think. And Whereas the, Brian Reynolds' major, model, the, the, the mathematical, mathematical variations are much bigger. Yeah, exactly. And they sort of worm their way into more of the gameplay mechanics. Okay. And All I would right. say that's true asymmetry. So here's an interesting take on asymmetry. If one of my problems when Rise of Nations first came out is it didn't do much asymmetry. Each side played pretty much like every other side, um, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. That was an awesome game on many levels. But then Big uh, big Huge Games does the Thrones and Patriots expansion, where they add new races, you know, new civilizations, with major gameplay-bending advantages and disadvantages. Uh, I sort of feel like there was Brian Reynolds doing a... a a game with mathematical variation instead of asymmetry, and then they do the expansion, and they're like, well, let's try it now with some bona fide asymmetry. One of the uh, Throne and Patriots cultures could walk through forests, right? Yep, yep. And uh, one of them had, I think, one of the American Indian, they had, like, invisible uh, armies when they were inside their own borders. Cloaking. Uh, More cloaking. More cloaking, exactly. (laughs) Yep. And the American side, I think, had an income boost based on the size of its I, army. My, my experience with, with, with Thrones and Patriots, honestly, because I loved Rise of Nations, but when the expansion came out, it felt pretty random to me. I mean, that was sort of... No, 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 no. So here's the thing, Julian. The American... This might seem random. America gets an army... Uh, gets an income bonus based on the size of its army. So what on earth would that be? Like, could, does that not say anything to you? <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't. But that to no, me no, says, no. I mean, okay. I, I don't mean random in the sense that there was no narrative thread to why any of it happened. But in terms of its oh. gameplay, it just sort of felt like somebody had thrown dice into my game. 
because it just sort of was like, uh, okay, now I can do this and I can do that. And I, I don't know. It just, oh, you're it, a Philistine. It, you're a Philistine. No. So it's, it's, it's that America sort of has this peace through strength approach. Uh, this idea that if we have a big army, we'll, we'll prosper. Uh, or the Dutch, for instance, the Dutch got an income bonus based on how much money they already had, I think. So they've got this idea of like earning interest by storing up, you know, banking by storing up their money. Uh, even the Indian war cloaking, that's like, you know, they know how to like hide in their territory. Uh, I, mean, I, can, even, I can see what you say that, but I, even in vanilla Rise of Nations, you had a lot of that uh, in a lot of the cultures. It was just really fascinating little bit. One of the, uh, there was the Inca, every, they could mine gold and metal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. For every metal that they mined, they also got gold. Yeah. So if you were on a, a flat map and you were playing the Inca, you were screwed. Because that was yeah, really. You know that's a good point, Troy. Uh, and there were quite a few of those in Rise. A lot of them, they had but 15 cultures, I think, in Rise of Nations. But there's a lot of. I mean, it's. A lot of that math added up to being a, quite a big difference. Uh, the, the, the Russians and their. Uh, the. Uh, <laughs> How the Russian could, winter. Russian winter would just eat away your troops so <laughs> fast. <for> that. <laughs> um, I love that game. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm going back then to saying, yeah, Brian Reynolds, even when I felt like he wasn't doing great asymmetry, was doing great asymmetry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's one example I wanted to bring up as well. Uh, asymmetry in shooters. Uh, one of my, my favorite battlefields would have to be Battlefield Vietnam for capturing the little literal sense of asymmetrical warfare uh, in in that game where you had the Vietnamese who had little like tunnels they could use to teleport around. They didn't have vehicles as much. And then you had the Americans who had the helicopters. Uh, I, I, I wish there was sort of more of that in shooters, but shooters tend to uh, be more aimed at multiplayer and everything being fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I agree. I think that's interesting, but I think it's in a single player game you can capture that. But it's if you're talking about real competitive shooters, you know, on the Counter Strike, you know, edge of life, I, I think that's pretty hard to get away with. I mean, people get people get upset about the placement of a particular barrier that's one pixel off <laughs> on one side of the map or another, you know. And actually, should I have? Did I just break rules, Troy? I probably shouldn't have. No, no, that's, off no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's worth noting, though, that that is, you know, there's a military meaning to asymmetry. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I think very few strategy games and very few war games have done asymmetrical warfare uh, treated it very well. Combat mission shock force, for instance. Well, did either, mis- did any of you have the misfortune nope. to play? Yes, I. Nope. You and I had a long discussion of combat mission shock force, yeah. as I recall, oh, when it came out. God. Ugh. Yeah, I think it's sort of interesting that the – I mean, I know that we're trying to stay wicked on topic, but when I think about the most sort of consistent use of asymmetry in multiplayer games, it's it's in MMOs. I mean, it really is. I mean, you look at the constant introduction and nerfing and expansion of classes and MMOs, and it is nothing but this endless balance of creating asymmetry on an MMO PvP battlefield. I mean, that's what it's all about. Well, it's – I mean, yeah, but that's – are MMOs, aren't they still overwhelmingly PvE, like single-player games? And, and isn't that more of an RPG thing? Like, let's give people different classes to play with, and rather it's, than asymmetric, class you, here's two people butting heads, uh, let's give them different tools with which to do it. Um, well, but I mean, why is that, why is, why is saying it's a class system any different than saying a class is the same as a nation? Because those are the right? rules. 
<laughs> well, I just think that's more of an RPG convention than a strategy gaming convention. Like, are, are there any RPGs that are that are symmetrical? I mean, I think that's just the trapping of the genre. Is you have a cleric, you have a thief, you have a fighter, and a, a wizard. Uh, so you just sort of run with that. Like, like basically, party based RPGs are inherently asymmetrical. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. I'll go back and. Uh, but the thing is, you never have to, like, you, you never have them necessarily fight each other. Like, for instance, wouldn't a wizard always win versus a thief who would always backstab a fighter who would always be, I, d- I don't know, like, how you would sort of work that out as, like, a strategy model thing. Because you don't have to. They help each right. other, and they throw the ring in Mount Doom, and then they go home. I guess in that sense that from a from a true sort of PvP battlefield sense, uh, it is symmetrical because every side has available to them the same tool set, right? Uh, you can always yeah, get, yeah. you can always get another two clerics, right? But they don't actually do that. It, now I don't play a lot of World of Warcraft. They don't actually do that, do they? Like don't some like I don't even know what the sides are. The orc, no horde and alliance. I do know. Yes. So don't the horde and alliance have like different classes? Like can everybody get one of those fancy new death knights? Or death uh, everybody can get a death knight, but but there are different there are some differences in classes. But ultimately, it does come down to sort of picking from the same tool belt. So I I, I oh. retract my I retract my thing. But I will I will say that I think for many people they many many gamers think of PvP uh, MMOs as their strategic outlet. Right? They they sit around and they sit there with maps and they do plans and they lay you out know, attack strategies. Let me then make a recommendation to those people because there is an MMO that has completely asymmetrical PvP. And that MMO, uh, the only one I really know, is Lord of the Rings Online. Lord of the Rings Online, exactly. Which has separate monster play, where you have separate classes and types of units. That's where I was headed. Because those guys figured it out. And monster play in Lord of the Rings Online is classic, because basically you can hop in and play a tank on the bad guy side. Okay, enough of the Renaissance player nonsense. I want to go back to the whole question of uh, real, uh, that Tom raised about uh, Vietnam and real asymmetrical warfare. I've been trying to beat my brains here. I'm trying to think if Bruce can think of anything, any war games that have approached or dealt with uh, what we consider modern asymmetrical warfare in a good, convincing manner. You mean like computer war games? Well, even the no. board war games. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they, actually, I think one of the best games was um, uh, Victory Games did that Vietnam game, which had this whole system of, uh, uh, you know, simulating the Viet Cong. And um, you had a, you basically had a completely different uh, game, like, rule set for the Viet Cong than for the United States troops because uh, um, you had to, the United States had to do their, their, their sort of search and destroy mission using one kind of rule set, and the Viet Cong had to do uh, their, you know, ambush kind of um, thing using another rule set. The game was completely unplayable. But anyway, uh, why is it unplayable? What unbalanced? You mean or no? It was just too big, and and it took like eight thousand years to play, and you know, you could never finish it. So, but that I mean, that's pretty much the case with all board war games ever made. So, um, <laughs> I, by the way, I just wanted to point out to you guys. I've been while I've been sitting here, you guys have been talking. I've been actually get. I got a couple emails. One from. Uh, uh, Jim uh, Romanesco and another one from Media Matters, and they were con- very concerned about some of the inaccuracies uh, in the, earlier in the podcast. So, um, <laughs> turns out Ogre uh, was released in 1977. Wow! And uh, your Star Wars came out. That's the golden GEV, age of sci-fi. GEV was re- was uh, released in uh, 1978. And interestingly enough, 
uh, in his uh, 2007 essay, game designer Eric Wujic uh, said, quote, I think Ogre successfully boils down to four essentials. Ogre is fast, asymmetrical, open-ended, and something else. So um, Cool, cool. That would be know, the fourth he, one, cool. Yeah, he pretty much uh, scooped us on all that kind of stuff there. Um so, but, Bruce, do uh, you remember uh, a board game? Because this was, this was probably my first ever board game. When I was a kid, another neighborhood kid brought this over, and we tried to play it, and I think it was a little too young. I, I didn't quite understand it. Do you remember or know of a Starship Troopers board game, yeah. Oh, yeah. which is asymmetrical warfare between, like, Marines and bugs? Yeah, and you had to plot out your, uh, you, like, the, the skinnies had to, uh, well, actually, the, no, the skinnies were completely, that was, that was the third uh, the, the third sort of faction there, but the, the bugs you had to plot out on the little graph paper, you had to, you had to plot out your little tunnels and whatnot, and then the, uh, the mobile infantry would, like, land, and then you'd move around, and then the, your, the other player would say stop, and then, like, bugs would come out of the ground. That sounds like a Vietnam game. Yeah. Huh? It sounds like a Vietnam game. Like that's that's awesome asymmetry, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was yeah. Actually, good call on that one. Um, that's also not good like, call by that's Julian. That's also pre nineteen eighty, uh, wasn't it? That's like really yeah. old. What's that? No, is that was that like seventy seven? Also, I think. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like pre nineteen eighty. That's yeah. Out, I'm, right? I'm, but I, I, accuracy in media is also uh, paging me here <laughs> because um, according to some. Uh, uh, web page that uh, rhymes with Pedia. Um, <laughs> computer adaptations, including the 1986 release by Origin Systems for Apple II, Amiga, Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, Commodore 64, DOS, and Macintosh, ranked 130 in Computer Gaming World's 1996 list of 150 best games of all time. So apparently, the computer version of Ogre was pretty darn good. Or at least it was the 130th best game ever released. But back then, Bruce, there were only there were only 150 games back then ever that's, released. Yes. Ouch! Yeah. That's wow. That's like getting like a seven at IGN. Oh, yeah. we'll get Steve. So. We'll get Steve Jackson on the game on the phone here to rebut all this, yeah. <laughs> and he will too. I bet. <laughs> Guaranteed. Hey, Steve Jackson should be one of our guests. By the way, this will yep. all be linked at the uh, bottom of this podcast. <laughs> I'll link what I can find. Or you can so, send me those links. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, well, I mean, you guys have all been, you know, you guys should you guys should just, like, start a university of talking about games because it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> Except for when we're really uh, negative about things. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that was that's a big problem. But you guys haven't really been negative about anything. Has, has Tom, was, Tom's usually kind of negative about things. I can't, uh, let me, let me go negative on something. Um, yeah. You haven't called me an idiot um, yet this show. I've never called you an idiot, Julian. I've made fun of you for liking magic, but that's way too coarse for me. <laughs> I would be condescending. I would not be insulting. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> he would uh, pat you on the head and then tell you you're wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, here's a negative. I am really disappointed in uh, the little funky modes they added to Company of Heroes in that Tales of Valor expansion. I have not played uh, that yet. I haven't played it. I haven't played it. Yet. I mean, it's like it's it's. I I I'm sitting there messing around with these modes, and they're cool modes. I mean, they're sort of like Defense of the Ancients, demigods type, you know, horde assault mode kind of things. But I'm sitting there messing with it, going, you know, guys, really, this is this is what other people get as mods to their real-time strategy games, and you guys or are, like, free. selling it yes. in expansion? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, if there was, like, an SDK available for Company of Heroes, and maybe there is, for all I know, you wouldn't be paying for this stuff. Uh, it's just, ugh, oh, that was so disappointing. However, even though that was negative, on the positive side, 
I am rediscovering how awesome Company of Heroes is. God, I missed that game. What do you mean you missed it? Where did it go? I'll tell you where it went, Bruce. It went uh, a combination of things basically killed it. They added in this really screwy copy protection with the last expansion. Something went amiss with the CD keys that I was using, uh, and they got canceled out. And then there was a horrible extended patching process that was required to install the game, where you basically had to babysit it for hours on end as it downloaded this sequence of, of little patches. Uh, so those three hassles right there, and I was like, yeah, forget Company of Heroes, I'm not going to play it. But with Tales of Valor, it's just one convenient quick install. You get the expansion, but it also installs the core game. So... Uh, yeah, and the patch they've they've added has apparently improved the AI quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if I was losing because I was getting reacquainted with the game again, or because the AI was considerably better. But uh, I was I was having a, a great time getting my ass kicked in that game. Um, well, so in my I, world, I I get my ass kicked in everything. So there you go. Uh, have you played Demigod? Yeah, you've played Demigod, right? Or no, I haven't here? actually managed to get Demigod up with anybody else playing yet. Well, here's what you should do. You should uh, read uh, Troy's, uh, one of his latest posts in which he um, basically admits that basically everything we said last week uh, was completely invalid. <laughs> the, uh, the actual retail game is, is much better than, far better than even the late beta. So everybody everybody that, um, that um, you know, listened to last week and, and, and thought the game sucked, you should probably just disregard that. So I, Troy, you noted uh, that, that the game, they did something to shorten the games, and I don't know, I'm, I'm with you, I don't know if it's that we got better or they changed something, but you can look at, on your profile on Impulse, all of the, the multiplayer games you've played, and of the ten multiplayer games that I've played, uh, I think they all were under 45 minutes, and six of them were under 30 minutes. Wow, uh, really? So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, um, I'm jumping back in. Uh, and also, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Julian, as far as like saying negative things, but I am loving Demigod. I am really, you? Uh, you great? yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to end up being a huge fan of that. So, are you going to become like a Demigod kind of like uh, um, evangelist, like you were for Sacrifice? I don't know that I'm loving it that much, but yeah, I'll evangelize for for Demigod. Sure, absolutely. Maybe not as much as I do for End War. But a little bit less than End War, but more than, say, Dawn of okay, War. Do I need a wall chart? I need a wall yeah. chart, don't I? With a little pushpin. <laughs> there will be a link so right to the chart at the bottom of the podcast. Right. This will be 12 <laughs> Cs out of 50 for Tom Chick. <laughs> uh, you'll probably be doing some blogging about uh, Demigod over on Fidget, I assume. So starting today is the, are the uh, Demigod Game Diaries. And I'm using uh, each of the eight demigods as sort of a jumping-off point to talk about some aspect of the game that I, that I that I either so, dig or don't like. Or so, whatever. are you going to talk a, a little bit more about like like the story, like the motivations and the stories? Because you had I remember distinctly last week or the week before you promised that mm-hmm. there would absolutely 100% be a long single-player campaign that explains... I did swear up and down, didn't I? I did. Yeah, you I, did. I, I'm pretty sure you did say for sure that that would be... I think you were told <laughs> specifically by Chris Taylor that that would be in there, and then you actually think you wrote part of it, right? So, I, so what happened? <laughs> what, what happened, you guys don't know, is you have to win the tournament mode as every one of the demigods, and that unlocks the story mode. What? You, no, that, that's, yeah, that's 
Oh, you had me. You had me. I was trying to keep a straight face. It, I, I, I was failing miserably, but since this was a podcast, I was going to be able to get away with it. Until... You did, for a minute. I'm very oh. gullible. I'm well known for being very gullible. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to keep our Flash of Steel readers uh, pointed to those diaries. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today, and thanks to the panel. Say goodbye, folks. Goodbye, folks. Goodbye, everyone.